essentials of our faith. Uh, again, let me share with you kind of the groundwork of where we're coming from in 1914. Uh, the Assemblies of God came together in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Uh, a fellowship, 300 Pentecostal leaders came together to discuss a great revival that was happening in America. They came together. Uh, and as we learned this week at a uh, presbyter's retreat in Branson, that they came together not to form another denomination because of those 300, most of them had already been kicked out of the denominations. So they weren't coming to begin a denomination. What they were coming for was to, to come together as a fellowship, to, to be the greatest evangelistic work in the world. Their whole goal was to reach the world. That's why they came together. We want to come together so that we could reach the world for Jesus Christ, not to start another denomination. Two years after they met in 1914, they came together with the, the idea, with the urgency of putting together fundamental truths, statements of faith. This is what this new fellowship must follow or needs to follow. Um, when they put those statements of truth together, there were 16. Of those 16, all 16 are still valid today. They have not been changed over the years, but still remain uh, the same. Uh, as I told you last week, uh, I'm going to share with you those 16 doctrines, 16 statements of our faith of the Assemblies of God every week. So here we go. Number one, the scriptures inspired the one true God, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ the fall of man, the salvation of man, the ordinances of the church, the baptism in the Holy Ghost, the evidence of the baptism in the Holy Ghost, sanctification, the church and its mission, the ministry, divine healing, the blessed hope, the millennial reign, the final judgment, and the new heaven and the new earth. These 16 fundamental truths are what this church, as an assembly of God church, stands upon. I told you last week, and let me tell you again, that this series isn't a series that we want to share our stance, share our belief, and then open it up for debate to get your opinion. This is where the assemblies of God stand. These 16 fundamental truths that we just walked through are non-negotiable, non-debatable for this church. This is where our church stands. Of those 16 fundamental truths, we call four of them cardinal doctrines or core doctrines. Those four core doctrines are the salvation of man. That's what we talked about last week. And thank God people got saved last week. Amen? Today, we're going to cover the baptism in the Holy Spirit, another core doctrine. Next week, we're going to look at divine healing. Next Sunday morning, we're going to be preaching on divine healing. And then next Sunday night, we're going to have a healing service. I mean, if we believe he heals, let's give him an opportunity to do so. All right. Some of y'all are with me. I kind of hear an amen over here and an amen back here. And then the last week, we're going to talk about the blessed hope. How many know that Jesus is coming real soon? to take his church, his bride home. Our text for this series is found in Psalms chapter number 82, verse number 5. Reading it from the New Living Translation, it says this, But these oppressors know nothing. They are so ignorant. They wander about in darkness while the whole world is shaken to the core. Core defined is a central and often foundational part, the essential meaning. 
The psalmist says in 82 that the world is being shaken to its core. Again, let me say that we are in a time in our history in which everything we stand for believe is being shaken. But the Hebrew writer says there's a reason for that shaking. That the reason for that shaking is so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. How many of you know there are things in our lives that we need to get shook off? There are things that latch onto us through our job, through our school, through our, our lives that it's not bad, but they hinder us from doing the things that we really know we should be doing. So Hebrew says, the Hebrew writer says that there will come a time of shaking so that those things that can remain or those things that should remain can be unshaken. How many know there needs to be an unshaken faith that this is the word of God? We need to have an unshakable faith that God is for us, that God is real. Sometimes to get to our core, we have to go through a shaking. So this morning, we're going to look at the seventh fundamental truth of the assemblies of God, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Dr. Bill Wright of Campus Crusade for Christ tells the story of a famous oil field called Yates Pool. During the Depression, this field was a sheep ranch owned by, a name, owned by a man named Mr. Yates. Mr. Yates wasn't able to raise enough money operating, uh, raising sheep to pay his mortgage and pay his interest. So he stood in, in jeopardy of losing his ranch with little money for food or clothes. He had to depend upon government subsidy. Day after day, he grazed his sheep. He was no doubt troubled greatly on how he was going to pay his bills. And then one day, a seismographic crew from an oil company came to him and said, there possibly could be oil on your land. Would you mind if we drilled a, a, a scout well to see? Mr. Yates signed the note, signed the contract, and the oil company brought in their rigs, and they began to drill. At, at 1,115 feet, they struck oil. The first, well, the first well came in at 80,000 barrels of oil a day. Many following wells were more than twice as large. In fact, 30 years since its discovery, the government has tested those wells and it has the potential of 125,000 barrels a day. And Mr. Yates owned it all. The day he purchased the land was the day he also bought the oil and mineral rights of that land. He had been living on relief when, in essence, he had every need he ever desired taken care of. This multimillionaire was living in poverty. The problem? He didn't know the oil was there even though he owned it. Many Christians today are living in spiritual poverty. They are entitled to the infilling and the energizing power of the Holy Spirit, but they are not aware of their birthright. Acts chapter number 1, beginning with verse number 4, it says this, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father had put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. 
Our statement of, of truth concerning the, or concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit says this. All believers are entitled to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit and therefore should expect and earnestly seek the promise of the Father. We should expect and earnestly seek the promise of the Father. That goes on to say, the baptism in the Holy Spirit was the normal experience of all believers in the early church. With the infilling comes the provision of power and productive service for victorious Christian living. The Spirit provides believers with specific gifts that, that are for effective ministry. You see, if I were to ask you this morning, do you believe in God the Father? We would all say, Absolutely. If I ask you, do you believe in God the Son, Jesus? Absolutely. But folks get freaked out when you go, do you believe in God the Holy Ghost? It's, it's like you have said something that turns their ears, sets their hair on end going, what in the world is going on here? Listen, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. The Holy Spirit is God just as Jesus is God. Let me ask you another question this morning. If money was no object, some of you are already smiling. If money was no object, what would be the one thing you would have to have or the one thing that you would do that would seem to make life happier, easier, or more productive? Not, not out loud, just think. If money was no object, what would be the one thing that you think lie that would make your life so much easier and so much happier? Oh, you know, we would think, well, if I had a bigger house, or maybe if I had a house on the lake with a boat slip, man, man, that would make life so much easier for me. Maybe it would be, maybe you're like the, 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 the you'd like to have a house on wheels and a motorhome. One that you could just get into, crank it up, and just drive. And when you got tired, you just pulled over and took a nap. Maybe you're kind of the RV person. Maybe you'd say, well, you know, I'd like a new car, a new Harley, or a new wardrobe. Maybe I'd like to go back to college. Maybe that would make my life easier or happier. You see, we can, man, if, if money was no object, we could come up with this giant list. But you know what? Chances are, if you had the money to do that, you would have already done it. But the, the problem is, Pastor, I have great dreams and great ambitions, and boy, I would love to do this and love to do that. But to do that, I'm going to need some help from an outside source. I'm going to need somebody to finance my dreams. I'm going to need somebody from outside of my life to help me fulfill what I want to do. The Holy Spirit, listen to me, we come into the house of God and we, you know, we get saved and whoo, I mean, we feel good and we feel, and, and, and there's so much, man, I want to do this and I want to do that for the kingdom. I'm, I'm going to go here. I want to do a mission trip. And all the time we're thinking, you know, if I just had the strength to do that, maybe, maybe you don't feel like you have the adequate words to speak when you come into a situation. Can I tell you, there is a, an outside source that God has provided for us called the Holy Spirit that that God wants to put into your life that will enable you to speak, able you to have boldness in situations, would able you to, to fulfill what you dream in your heart. 
You see, some people say, well, you know, I'm just too shy. If I could only witness better or, man, I wish I had the right words to say to my coworker because I know they're really struggling right now. Their marriage is really hurting. If I just had the right words to say or, you know, pastor, sometimes I just struggle within myself. I, 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 I fall short. I'm not living to, up to what I want to be. These situations can leave us feeling powerless. But God has provided assistance. God has provided us the Holy Spirit that he said would give us power, would give us boldness, would give us the ability to speak when we don't even know what to speak, when we don't even rehearse the words that we can just step up and the Holy Spirit begin to work through us as we speak the word of God. You see, Jesus said in John 14, it says, I will ask of the Father and he will give you another comforter, another counselor that will be with you, the spirit of truth. When Paul was on his journey to Ephesus, he came in contact with certain disciples and he said to them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And these disciples, I I imagine, had this weird look upon their face and say, we don't even know such a thing as the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Ghost. What is that? So let me ask you a question this morning. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? If so, how do you know? There are so many people on earth who have such a small view of God that they don't see a need to fear him. Then you've got millions of people who claim to be Christians or followers of Christ, and yet their lives look nothing like his life. And they don't seem to be concerned about it. But maybe the biggest concern with the church today is the apparent lack of the power of the Holy Spirit within our services. You see, when we read the New Testament and you see the Holy Spirit, it changes the dynamics of everything. The Spirit brought a supernatural element to where and when these followers got together that when people began to come together for church, there was a supernatural thing that happened that all of a sudden people began to draw toward that because of what the Holy Spirit was doing in the services. Listen, we talk about the old time, you know, where where the churches had windows and we'd open the windows and the church would begin to sing and people would be drawn to that. It wasn't because we were the greatest singers in all the world. It wasn't because we had the greatest sound system or the greatest musician. It's because that the Spirit of God was moving in such a powerful way that people felt drawn to it. We see the same thing happening in the New Testament. When the believers got together, people began to draw, being drawn toward their meetings. Do we really see a supernatural power in the work of believers today when they come together. Can you imagine after spending time with Jesus that you're sitting around and, you know, you're hanging on every word that Jesus says, and all of a sudden Jesus says, it's beneficial for you that I go away. What? I mean, what could be better than Jesus? Now think about that. You, you were there when he healed the blinded eyes and you may have been there when he raised Lazarus from the dead and these guys are standing there and Jesus says, guys, it's better for you that I go away because if I don't go away, the promise, the Holy Spirit's not going to come. The other counselor that I told you about. 
And so, it's, so it says that Jesus said, go wait, go tarry in an upper room. So these guys gather in an upper room. There's 120 of them, the word teaches us. And listen, they were gathered there under one premise and one premise only that Jesus said he was going to send somebody else. So they didn't know if this somebody else or something else was going to come walking through the door or whether it was going to magically appear or whether it was going to, they, they didn't know what was going to happen. They were there because Jesus said, I'm going to send you some power. So the Bible says that they were gathered in an upper room and suddenly, and suddenly a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind filled the whole house and it set up and the tongue, there was tongues of fire and it set up on each of them and they all began to speak in a new language that they did not know prior to this moment. Peter who denied knowing the Lord, now think about this. Sometimes we want to scream at Peter. I don't know if you watch, you know, the Bible series or you, we, you read the word and you want to scream at Peter saying, why, after all that you've seen, after all that you heard, why did you deny to even know who he was? If you go back even further, you see when Jesus was arrested, you see all the other disciples are, 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 are tucking tail and running. They're getting out of there. And after all this, In Acts chapter 1 begins, Jesus says, I'm going to send the promise. Go wait. Acts chapter number 2, we see the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And just in a few verses, we find Peter standing up with the 11, standing up with the other disciples, standing above a crowded streets of thousands of people, speaking and preaching a gospel message of Jesus Christ. Along with the other guys, along with the others, they're standing up and proclaiming the gospel. And I have to look, I have to reference in the word of God and I have to go, okay, now just days earlier, Peter and these other guys are scared to death. They're denying to even know Jesus. And now they're standing, they're, they're standing boldly before the Lord or before the congregation of people proclaiming. So there must have something, something's taken place. That something is Acts chapter number 2. The baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now let's fast forward a few thousand years. We walk into our buildings on Sunday morning. Now listen, I know that I'm preaching to you this morning, but I'm preaching to, I guess, a national church. But y'all just get to be the, the epic center of it. We walk into our church buildings. We receive a bulletin at the door. We take our seats in the main sanctuary. We sing our few songs. We listen to a preacher. And in most cases, there isn't anything super or natural take place. Why is that? Why is it that in our church, so many people feel weak and defeated? Isn't it the same Holy Spirit that energized the disciples to stand before the multitudes? Isn't it the same Holy Spirit that we have today is the same that empowered these early church believers to stand as they beat them, as they stoned them, and even as they said, I I don't want to be crucified like my Lord, turn me upside down. Isn't it the same Holy Spirit that we desire today to energize us, that energized the early church to do great exports for the kingdom of God? Isn't it about time that we as a church who claims and believes in the power 
power and the working of the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, I want the power of the Holy Spirit to work in our services and in my life just as it did because it's the same Holy Spirit. Imagine with me a great weightlifter. And since you're looking at me, we'll just pretend it's no, no, no. Imagine with me if you've ever watched the strongest man competition. And you've got these guys that are just, their muscles have muscles. And one of these dudes can lift, he bench presses, let's say, a, a thousand pounds. And I, now I don't know about you, but that seems like that's a lot. James, is that a lot to bench press a thousand? It's a little bit under yours, right? So this guy, I mean, he's bench pressing a thousand. He's maybe squatting two or three thousand. I mean, he's just chiseled. And I mean, you just walk, you go, that's a man's man right there. And he falls in love with a, a female weightlifter. Her bench press is about maybe three or four hundred pounds. I mean, she's chiseled. She's got muscles. And you look at the two of them as a couple and you go, I mean, they're so thick and so big that they couldn't even walk down the center aisle together because, you know, they're just so muscled up. And you look at them and go, man, aren't they powerful people? And then a few years later, they decide to have kids. Can you just imagine what their kids must look like? I mean, you're going, man, they come out and their kids are already flexing when... But in this case, the kids are coming out and they're scrawny. They're sick looking. They grow up and they talk in a high-pitched voice. (laughs) They show up for parent-teacher conference and this little scrawny kid comes in and mom and dad come in behind him and you're going, okay, this kid's got to be adopted. There's no way that this child came from these genes. We serve an awesome, powerful God that I want to explain to you this morning that has born has birthed us again Jesus said that we could be born again of the spirit and this awesome powerful God that we serve and that we worship said I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit the third member of God the Trinity if you will and he put his spirit within us and so often we as Pentecostal people or people of God we look and people go How can you serve an almighty God and have the spirit of God in you when you look so powerless? You look like everybody else. But if we're born again and the spirit of God is poured into our lives, shouldn't there be some resemblance of our heavenly father? Shouldn't we stand with boldness and power without fear and without doubt and proclaim the gospel of Jesus? That same Holy Spirit that was poured in on the disciples in Pentecost at 120 people is the same Holy Spirit that God says is for you. It's for you today. It's not just something that I did something special back then, but but it's for all my children to be poured into, to, be received, to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We believe in this almighty, all-powerful God that has put his spirit within us. And our response so often is, hello, welcome to church. We'll get you out in an hour. Hope you come back next week. Have a great day. Is that really what God intended for us? 
Haven't we been born again, filled with the Spirit? Can't we, if we, let me, let me I'm going to step on, well, I'm not going to step on your toes because you're here. But we, we claim that this Holy Spirit resides in us. We claim that we have this awesome power for God. And some people who claim that can't even muster enough strength to get up on Sunday mornings to come to church. Aren't you glad you're here? Well, Pastor, I just, you know, it's that, well, Pastor, I just don't. Come on, folks, we've got God dwelling in us. We got the Holy Spirit in us. God dwells within us. Shouldn't there be a dip? Shouldn't there be some resemblance to an almighty, all-powerful God in our actions? You see, God's desire for us is to walk differently. God wants for us to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to be baptized with power. Look at these scriptures. Matthew chapter number 3, verse number 11. John the Baptist says, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It says the same thing in those three other chapters. Or three other books. Then Jesus says in Acts chapter number one, for John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit not too many days from now. Then Peter standing up after receiving the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two and verse number 38 says, repent and be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for this promise is to you and to your children and to all that are afar off as many as our Lord shall call. Can I tell you this morning, you have been called. You are a called of God, a child of God. You have been born again of the Spirit. And God says, I want to put my Spirit within you. But here's the thing. I can't tell you how many times I have heard this phrase. Well, if you Pentecostal people didn't have Acts chapter number 2, you wouldn't have anything to stand on. You Pentecostal people spend way too much time preaching on the Holy Spirit. But maybe it only seems like we're preaching too much on the Holy Spirit because for so many years we've spent neglecting to preach on the Holy Spirit. Maybe the, maybe the emphasis on the Holy Spirit today that maybe seem overboard is actually should be the normal in the church. Because we all need that outside source to help us stand, to help us, to help us walk with him, to be him in this world. Now, I know I need to close, and I'm going to hurry with these next 25 pages. <laughs> let's go back to Acts chapter number 2. Or let's back up even further in Acts chapter number 1. Jesus has given his final address. He's gathered his disciples there. In just a few moments, he is going to ascend to his father. And he says, guys, I want you to go and back to Jerusalem, and I want you to tarry. I want you to go to the upper room, and I want you to wait, because it's there that I'm going to send you another comforter. I'm going to send the promise of the father. When I get there, I'm going to send him here. So the 120 are in the upper room, and I've already said it. They didn't know if the Holy Spirit was going to walk through the door. They, they didn't know anything. 
They didn't know that, well, you know, this is going to happen and that's going to take place. They were there just because Jesus told them to be there. They were there because Jesus said, I want to put my spirit in you. So they gathered. And for 10 days, the word says that they prayed. They probably sang a little bit. You know, they, they, they elected a new deacon or a new elder or disciple. They testified. They probably had moments where people got up and said, you know, I was at so-and-so place. And man, can you just... So anyway, they were, I mean, this is for 10 days. So, but on that 10th day, I don't, I don't know. I kind of envision it this way that their prayer kind of got a little bit, you know, boisterous. Maybe, maybe they could sense something was about to die. I don't know. But as we read in Acts chapter number 2, it says that suddenly there came a sound, an F5 tornado. A hurricane was coming through that upper room. And then all of a sudden there's this ball of fire that blows into the room. It divides up and it sits on every one of the 120 I'm I'm wondering if they were going, is this it? And then the Bible says that they all began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. I know we're on number seven of our our faith statements, and number eight deals with the evidence. But listen to me. Those disciples, that 120, entered that room with no pre conceived ideas they didn't know they just said Jesus said he's going to send us the power going to send us another another comforter we're going to be here until he arrives folks I wish I wish we could get back to that disciple mentality of saying you know what God not really sure don't really care how he shows up doesn't matter to me what happens, what's, in, what's going on in the service. God, I just want you to fill my life. I want you to baptize me in the Holy Spirit. Whatever, whatever takes place after that, I, it doesn't matter to me. And see, right now, so many people, when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you mention tongues, they wig out. What? And, and, and please forgive me. Forget about tongues. The tongues is the evidence of the Holy Spirit, I believe, that will come to show. But the most important thing that we can get right now is saying, you know what, God? I'm walking into your presence without any pre- preconceived notions. It doesn't matter what happens. The most important thing, God, is for you to fill me. See, I think that's where we need to be. Let's not worry about what happens afterwards and just start desiring him to fill our lives. God, I want you. You see, we'll, we, Jesus said, and you'll sit behind me. Go ahead, Pastor Nate. You'll sit. This is, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm going to send you the promise. I'm going to send him. Did I forget to put it up there, brother? It's one of the last things. I think it's the last slide, actually. Jesus said, The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. You know him for he lives with you and will be 
will be in you. Well, how does he get in me? Jesus said, ask. He said, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? Them that ask. Paul said, be not drunk with wine, where is an excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit, again, wasn't for just 2,000 years ago. It is for us today. Is there something in you that craves to be more for God than you are today? Is there something in you that wants to be part of something supernatural? Is there something in you crying out, God, feel, I need, how many, how many times have we heard people, I need, I just need more of God? Anybody? How many times? Oh, pastor, I just need more of God in my life. Here it is. Be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Invite the Holy Spirit into your life. That's God. Well, you know, I'm not, I don't want that God the Holy Ghost. I just want God the Father. I want God Jesus can't separate the three. I need God in my life. Folks, that's an invitation for the Holy Spirit. I need you, God, in my life. Because how many times do we fail and fall because we lack the power to live it? I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. Brother Mark, if you and Grant and the team would come back this morning, I want to bring our service to a close. I challenge you this morning to become an early church Christian in that you obey the command of God and be filled with the Spirit. Right now, the Spirit is at work. Right now in this service, the Spirit is at work because there may be somebody here today that's not living for the Lord. One of the first things that the, the Holy Spirit, we're taught about the Holy Spirit, is that the Holy Spirit's going to draw us to God. You can't even get saved without the Holy Spirit being involved. Because it's the Holy Spirit that draws you to God. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts you of your sins. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. So for you to get saved this morning, the Holy Spirit has to be at work in your life. And right now, the Holy Spirit, it may be drawing you Maybe convicting your heart. You may be sitting here this morning and saying, Pastor, I recognize I'm just, I'm not, I'm not living for God. And I, I need to make that decision to serve the Lord. If that's you this morning, everybody's praying. Would you just stand from where you are and slide out to one of the nearest aisles? And would you come meet me at this altar? Give me, give, me, give me just a little bit of time to pray with you and others to pray with you this morning. Is the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin this morning that you need to come and make things right with God? If it is, just if he's doing that this morning, would you just stand from where you are and meet me here at this altar? Anyone in this house? All right, here's what I want to do. I want to ask you to stand all over the room this morning. Everything that we do as believers, we need to do with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. It is said that today's church 
relies so little upon the Holy Spirit. And the early church, everything they did relied upon the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to do something with me this morning. You may come from different denominations and different beliefs, but there's not a one of us today that would argue the point that we need more of Jesus, we need more of God in our lives. We debate over whether or not how that comes. I'm not interested in debating that this morning. Let's get back to we need more of God in our lives. And time and time again in the Word of God, we find just invite me. Just ask me. I will fill you. I will be with you. I will be in you. So here's what I'm going to do. Brother Mark and the team are going to sing. If you want more of God in your life, you want more of God in your life, and you're not concerned with however or whatever that means, you're, it, that, that's just, that's, that's another time. God, I just need you more in my life. I need more of you. I fail so often. I just need more of you. I want more of God in my life, period. Period.